You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. The horse internet is losing their minds over a unique and interesting clip job at U.S. Dressage Finals. This week, it's time for all the No Stirrup November and bit-fitting hot takes. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, to Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniak. Welcome to episode 118 of Heels Down Happy Hour. What's up? What's up, guys? Hey, guys. How's it going? Not much. All right. So I have a really interesting drink this week that I've, I've like I've been holding on to it because I really wanted to share it with you guys. Okay. Um, I'm really excited. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm like a 30-something-year-old like newbie baby on TikTok. I don't understand it. I have the app. I find myself like mindlessly scrolling through it, but like I've never produced a TikTok in my life. So take everything I say with a grain of salt because I do not use it correctly and I'm not savvy (laughs) and I'm not cool on TikTok. But there is this trend going around on TikTok. And have you heard of these mocktails that are supposed to be like for, it's kind of like a sleepy time tea, like to help you go to bed at night. Oh, no, yes. that sounds good. Yes, I have. So they're called a sleepy girl mocktail, and they're very simple. And I thought, hmm, this is like a different spin for a drink this month. Uh, basically, what makes it sleepy is it's actually funny because it makes me think of what we put in our horses supplements to calm them. It's um, magnesium powder. So this recipe calls for just one tablespoon of magnesium powder. Seems easy enough to get at your grocery store or supplement store with ice. And you use a half a cup of pure tart cherry juice. And then you top it off with some lemon lime flavored soda, like a Sprite or sparkling water. And that can be your little mocktail before bed that will uh, ease you into a good night's sleep. That's pretty cool. I feel like it's right up my alley. It's fruity enough. (laughs) Yeah. It's fruity enough for you. And I'm not somebody who's like, I'm not like big on taking melatonin or something, but it just is a super bummer on those nights where you just know you like you can't get a good night's sleep. I would definitely try this. I would try this. So we'll have the recipe in our show notes for you guys. And this episode is brought to you by Livec. All right, it's time for the news, which is brought to you by the Heels Down Spark, the only equestrian newsletter. It's free. Subscribe by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. Jess, do you want to kick us off? Oh, oh yeah. Because <laughs> speaking of you on TikTok, I was on Facebook the other day and I feel like everybody saw it because the picture was just so epic. You like couldn't miss it. But there was a horse at the dressage finals and it had a checkered clip job. Did you see this? I did. Okay, so I want I want you to I want to hear more before I tell you my opinion. <laughs> but okay. I saw it. <laughs> I don't really know if I mean okay, I couldn't pull it off. Like no no way. It does not seem like your thing. Yes. It's not my thing. <laughs> but so the fact is so then I like went searching for it a bit cuz I was like pretty interested like one how did they do it? Like did they take, you know, I was just fascinated by like how it was. And so this girl, Fee, I think is her name, she decided that she hates clipping, which Nobody really likes clipping, I don't think, but she hates clipping. And so she's very artistic and was like, you know what? I'm going to freehand check or clip job my horse instead. So like a normal freehand? clip job of like, so she wow. freehand it. Well, then, then I read somewhere else that she like had a pat- a small little pattern from her friend and then freehand it. So I think it was like a combination of both. Like she had a little checkered and then like went around, but she... It's amazing. I mean, it said it took her five or six hours to complete, which I'm not sure I have the patience for that, nor I don't think my horse would. But she said her horse is like a dream, just stands there, is like a total goofball. And basically, she went to dressage finals in Lexington and like multiple people came up to take pictures of it. So like, I think you either loved it or hated it or just found it really interesting. I think it was like one of those things, but it was super cool. Oh, yeah. I've seen all kinds of opinions on the internet on this. Like, oh, I can't, so I I can't not see the photo. I just, uh, I didn't click on any comments or anything. I just went to kind of have her side of it because I was like, you know, the internet people are all going to be about everything. So I just went to get her kind of side on it. Exactly. I mean, it is well, definitely and, impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Skill-wise, you have to admit That's it's what I think. 
I'm like, there's no way I could do that. Like zero way. And she did it where like the neck and the underside were fully clipped and his legs were fully clipped. So like she did everything where her horse was like perfect, you know, in the means of, uh, basically like it was done clip wise that like if it sweat or anything else, it was fine. But wow. I just still couldn't believe the well, talent I just, that it would take. I feel like you've just got to be like one dressage. Like I love dressage people, but uh, also like you got to be pretty darn brave to show up with a look like that right? in the dressage world. So good for her that she felt one brave and confident enough in herself and her horse to show up at dressage finals with that right that is like bold and brazen and i am here for it it's amazing but two yes so i i've read i've read the comments because you know there are obviously two camps i mean you could say this about like sure anything the rules that allow you know colorful looks now in dressage like there are people who have are really into that and they've gone full steam ahead into like designing these like very colorful, super blinged out looks for the dressage ring. And then there are the people who turn their noses up a little bit and really like the traditional look. They probably wish they could still ride in a top hat. I don't know, but like to each their own. I think it's amazing. I think it's good for the sport and I hope she won a ribbon in Kentucky at at finals. I hope she won something because it was amazing. (laughs) She should have won like a best dressed or something at least. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, I'd I'd be lying if I said I didn't definitely clip a heart on Berkeley's butt at one point. (laughs) Okay. Um, I definitely did the hardcore pony heart. But did I did I show in it? No. But I mean, hers looks way classier than that. You know, it's not like a little pony heart. You know, it's way detailed and. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was like, I thought it was well done and bold and obviously going to turn heads. But for all the right reasons, like I didn't think it looked tacky. I didn't, you know what I mean? I didn't. And it was expertly done. Like she did like a groom level job. on A hundred percent. I get anxiety just looking at it. Um, The time it would take. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, so I wanted to talk about No Stirrup November because there's been like, I feel like more of an uproar this year than in years past um, about how we need to rethink it. And I agree completely. I don't think it's good for horses backs for people who don't do No Stirrups regularly to just hike their stirrups off of their saddles and say, have fun. You don't get to have them for a month. I would feel horrible for those horses. Um, so I wanted to talk about like, I guess what is your plan and stuff? Like, well, how do you guys feel about no stirrup November? Um, I personally, I mean, I don't ride much in November. It's cold up on my mountain. <laughs> um, so I am of a no saddle November. Cause I maybe walk around on a horse for 20 minutes and I'm like, that's good for today. But have you guys seen like the backlash of about no start November on fate or on Facebook and other social medias and have, like, what are your thoughts? I haven't seen any backlash. Cause you know, it's kind of just been, I think it kind of goes in waves. Like, right. People like are all about it, you know, five years ago or something like that. They're like, everybody's going to do no start November. And then it kind of teeters off and then you kind of do it a little bit throughout the year. And then, so I find like, it's kind of all over the place, but I haven't seen the backlash. Like, but I don't really, I think it's, um, stay out of that to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe backlash is a strong word, but I, I do think that there is, I don't want to say a movement either is the right word, but there's there's more awareness, I would guess, for what we do and how it affects the horses. So, I, you know, there, there are opinions out there that have been published in various publications, including ours on Heels Down, where people just say, like, taking your stirrups away for 30 days and just bouncing around on your horse's back when you're not maybe fit enough or conditioned enough or haven't done it in your normal routine training program before November is that really fair to the horse? I think that's mostly the argument. So like, what is the safest and most productive way to do, to add a no stirrup routine into your program? So like, just curious, Jess, like, how do you do it with your students? At what point do you take their stirrups away or ask them to work without stirrups on their own time or 
It, it is, you know, very personal. Like it is mm-hmm. case by case space that like, if I feel they need to get stronger or whatever else, and if the horse can handle it and everything else, like a little, instead of a lot of nose stirrup November stuff, we do a lot of pull work and a lot of kind of cavaletti work this time of year to make sure the foot works in and everything else. So we don't really do the nose stirrups. I mean, I've done it in the past, like to certain people, but right yeah. now we're on like more of a pull cavaletti sort of kick in the barn, if you want to say like for most of our clients. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's, there's a million fair ways to do it. I've had trainers where I, you know, I, my horse lived in their program and like every lesson required some bit of no stirrup work where I dropped my stirrups one with flatting for whatever exercise or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I've been at barns where they make it more of like, like a fun competitive thing to do with your lesson buddies. You know, um, I've been at a barn where like they keep tally and like, there's a score at the end of the month, depending on what your ability, like what you're willing to try and what you want to do with no stirrups, which, you know, Jen, it was always like a fun extra thing you could or could opt out of doing at the end of the lesson. When I was a kid, I thought it was a blast, you know? So I don't think there's anything inherently evil about No Stirrup November. I think it's a fun thing for our horse community, you know, and there's no right or wrong way to do it either, you know? Yeah, I just feel like, like you said, I mean, it should be something that's not just this time of year. I mean, right. growing up when I was in lessons every week, like the first like 10 minutes of my ride before I even started trotting, my trainer said, drop your stirrups and stand up. Which, let me tell you, nothing hurt my thighs like that exercise. And she said just one time around the arena. And by the time you get like three quarters of the way, you're sweating. Like, you're like, holy cow. Like, am I going to make it? Like, I'm not even, your butt's maybe three inches out of the saddle. Like, you're not far. But it just engages your core, your legs. Like, I think that stuff is just so important. And what I do with my students is, I mean... I make them do that same exercise. I'm like, I know yeah. how much this sucks, um, but do this now. <laughs> um, well, and understanding that feel, like, because it could be really hard to explain, are you engaging your core to somebody until you do that and you're like, holy cow, I have to, you know, in that moment. Exactly. And I feel like there's so much that can be done at the walk, too, that is so much easier on the horses, like posting in a rhythm at the walk you have more control if you're getting back into no stirrups. Like I did that a lot when I was rehabbing myself with Batman. Um, I mean, granted I was in a Western saddle cause I needed my horn to hold on to, but I did a lot of that just at the walk because it was able to, I was able to strengthen myself and there's, since it's at a slower speed, there's less risk that you're going to fall back and land on your horse's back. So that's something I really like to do, you know, the standing, the posting and like even doing a jumping position at the walk with no stirrups, I mean, that's a good, great way about strengthening your legs and getting yourself where you're strong enough to be successful at the higher gates with no stirrups, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I do feel like it, I mean, it absolutely comes in handy from a conditioning standpoint, but you know, there are definitely times where my horse is tripped or we've took a big distance and I've lost my stirrups in a show setting and I've had to recoup, whether that's several fences without stirrups or I've had to finish the course without stirrups and that's because my trainer made me work on that at home or else I wouldn't have been successful to do that you know no for sure yeah if you if you didn't know that's a big oh crap moment (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so what have you got Justine all right so my news is also kind of a hot topic this week And instead of me just relaying everything that Doug said on his Facebook page, uh, we brought Doug on. So, hey, Doug, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for coming back. Um, You had a nice and interesting and very engaging hot take on your Facebook this week. And I just thought we might as well have you talk about it yourself. But you shared this this really interesting photo of Mia Farley at Maryland on her very cool thoroughbred. And her horse is very clearly ducking through this keyhole jump. And I I think you describe it very well on your page about sort of, you know, sort of the challenges those types of jumps face or, or, you know, overface the horses in those moments. But I'm hoping you could explain it a little bit more and why, you know, why you wanted to start this discussion in the first place. Yeah, sure. I guess a bit of background, obviously, 
have had event horses forever and ever. Um, but started actually back in 2015, I think, went on a bit of a crusade against the keyholes at the time. They were starting to get smaller and smaller in diameter. Mm. And there was a picture that had been posted. Actually, I think of um, our friend Lainey Ashker ended up getting her head, like, literally getting chopped by the top of the brush. Holy and cow. so, yeah, at the time, you know, I was pushing really hard for either expansion of it right i mean clearly elimination would be great but um certainly having the picture enlarged but then um yeah mia's picture popped up and you know it felt like something that was still an unfinished conversation of if you will the big catch that i've seen is that if you read the fei course design guidelines it actually sounds pretty good honestly but in practice designers course builders whomever whatever it is whoever's making the decisions here they really don't end up adhering to it and to me the biggest catch with these keyholes is that it's really more of an instinctual problem than it is a training issue so i mean a horse that's going to have a propensity to duck is going to tend to duck regardless what you do and we had one sometime back that was really bad with it so we built a um just took a 12 by 12 by 12 uh sort of one inch galvanized pipe and then stuck a drop cloth and cut a hole in it. Right. So I figured, okay, we're going to start with a rail on the ground, start building it up and went through with a whole bunch of horses at the time. While they would improve during the day, the next day you'd come back around and it was like back to square one. And okay. So maybe you got a 2% benefit, you know, as far as the lasting training thing of it. But um, I think in the end, any other, obstacle that you come across in the cross-country situation you can either you know you can basically deal with it honestly truly train them but i i really think the um you know the horses really have a, a very difficult time the ones that do have time you know trouble with it they have a very difficult time with an obstacle like this and mia's picture was pretty striking clearly and the big catch obviously if you're going to duck you're not going to be quite as sharp with your front end and you know, there's been a number of incredibly high profile accidents that have caused life changing injuries, both um, or William Fox Pitt, Andrew Nicholson, uh, Harry Mead. He poor guy broke both of his elbows oh. at the time. Um, and, you know, of course, Laney had a pretty catastrophic fall. And I mean, the list goes on. But, you know, to me. I so think we've is, got to be, I think we just have to be completely fair with the horses and that, you know, if it's something that you can train or you can, uh, it should, should be a true test of your ability to work with your partner. And frankly, if it's something that's in the end, instinctual, I think it has no place in this competition. I mean, I think you make a very fair argument because that was my follow-up question is, you know, so for listeners who who might not be um, in the eventing scene, a keyhole jump is generally exactly what it sounds like. You're jumping through a circular opening, basically opening, right? That has a roof, so there, you know, there is a, a top to the fence that the horse goes through it. Um, and and it's not. I mean, the, the big cat. I mean, the hardest part about this, right? It 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 really affects a minority, a small portion of the population of horses that that really. Don't have an aversion to it, right? But mm -hmm. to me, it still becomes then a needless thing. So in 2015, you know, I, I made a sort of a, a pretty big stand on it um, that was covered really well. And and following that, and I'm on the USCA Safety Committee, and so I'm I'm pushing hard for this for the entirety. But um, after that 2015 thing, they, they end up going to now. If you see a Kentucky, like the last jump is often kind of a, sh a horseshoe shape. That used to be a full circle right and so a number of jumps now have gone to more of that u-shape which is a wonderful thing because frankly a u-shape the horses jump it really really well because they're going to tend to judge the hot the um the left and right side of it rather than the center so um we've gone away from i don't know if you guys have noticed but like in kentucky they used to have a fish that was a convex shape sort of high right. in the center low on the sides and that never jumped well and now you're going to either a straight top you know, sort of horizontal top or something that's uh, concave, right? Something high on either side. 
And so the, you know, the horseshoe shape is, is great, but yeah, these, um, the keyholes and the funny thing, you look at the FEI guidelines and it says it should be no bigger than 18 inches, which this clearly is greater than that. It's in width and it should be a soft surface. It should be a brush or something that frankly, if the horse makes a mistake, the, the consequence of the, that mistake should be minimal. Um, but I think in all practical terms, you know, designers want to, designed for a championship level course and they you know tend to push the boundaries and um the biggest challenge we have i think right now is the guideline is just that it's not a hard and fast rule that it has to be this it's just best practices you should do this but you know that's um, not just seldom that adhered to no no it's not, yeah i'm not singling out just maryland and, oh right right um, i mean know, you see them across the board it's yeah. Around, it's, yeah it's around everywhere and mm-hmm. um, just happened to pop up this picture and it was pretty striking so had something had to be said. Well, so what would it take for for to see real change? Personally, I'd rather see them eliminated altogether. Um, right. There was one of the comments, and it was it was from uh, Marbach, which is in Germany, and it was an A-frame that had a small hole, and underneath it was actually a ditch, a ditch with filled with water underneath the oh my god jump part of the keyhole. <laughs> it was terrible. But I'm like, this is the worst jump I've ever seen in my life. Like I I. <laughs> I mean, I've got one horse I would potentially attempt it with, but I would not be. He probably would have just gone home. I'd be pretty damn excited if I landed on the other side, you know. Oh, gosh. Um, but to me, it's it. the thing is, in the future, we're already getting enough scrutiny with eventing, and I think we're getting wrapped up in racing, mm-hmm. which is clearly is getting a lot of pressure. So I think if we can do anything to eliminate jumps that have the likelihood of catastrophic sort of results from a mistake, we should just do our best to eliminate them because frankly the you know horse and rider health this should be our first priority absolutely well thanks doug for coming on oh yeah anytime anytime we always appreciate your ex- uh, appreciate your explanation so just a shout out to everyone who uh donates to our podcast on patreon we really appreciate everyone who wants to be a subscriber to patreon where you can get access to more exclusive content. For example, I shared quite a bit of my thoroughbred makeover journey there recently, and we're always uh, dreaming and scheming of new things to share with you there. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash heels down. Okay, guys. So for our product review this month, we've got something fun to talk about. They're horse treats and, um, you guys both have them, right? They're zero. They're so horses. cute. Yes. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> I so my guys love them. Um, they ate them so fast. I ran out oh, like yeah. so quickly. But so zero proof is a company based out of Kentucky, and they are like literally the perfect product for us to share on our show because they <laughs> are inspired by your favorite cocktails. They're now, different cocktails. They're exactly. So cute. So don't get too excited. They don't actually contain any alcohol. Your horses don't eat aren't, them. Yeah. Right. Your horse isn't going to get a buzz from, from the treats here. But they are made with uh, distiller grains from Kentucky. And they have they come in various flavors. So there's a mint for a mint julep, um, orange and cherry for an old-fashioned, and apples for a classic apple martini. So did your, did your horses have a favorite? I think, I think all of them. <laughs> Mine really liked the apple martini. The oh. apple was a hit. Um, yeah. And, but they were just like perfect little size that you can put them in your pocket too that I really liked. And they're mm-hmm. not like making a mess. So, um, you know, like if I'm going to the ring or whatever else, I could put them in my pocket and then have them right at the gate. So they were so, they're really easy. And Abigail opened up all of them the first day and walked around and fed every horse very Aww. quickly, all of them. <laughs> That's so cute. So when I was in Kentucky, I actually met Melanie, who is the owner. Oh, you did? And, yeah. And really, um, she's the one who came up with the whole concept. And she came to our happy hour events at the makeover and handed out samples. So we were, you know, we were drinking beer and also got really fun cocktail inspired horse treat samples. Um, so some of you who are listening might might have already tried Zero Proof if you came to the makeover. Um, nice. But, but Melanie is amazing. She would also like could very easily be a host on this show. Like she just one is the most like beautiful, well put together Southern lady I've ever met. And she is so <laughs> passionate about what she does with Zero Proof and is obviously a true horse lover. Like all of her heart goes into these treats, which makes it that much more fun to share them with my horses. Right. 
And, you know, Wyatt, he's not, he was never really a cookie or treat guy. You know, like coming off the track, they're like really skeptical of cookies. Like I would, I tried a variety and he would take it and spit it out. I'm like, okay. Um, But not zero proof, you know, like (laughs) I was actually impressed because I just had not found a treat that he liked more than a carrot or an apple. But he loved the old fashioned um, zero proof horse treats. Like we went through the entire bag while we were in Kentucky. (laughs) and. they're really cute. And I like the packaging is really cute. They'd make a nice Christmas gift, you know, for anybody that like any, any horse girlfriend, you know, cause the, like you said, just they're, they're small pellet treats. Like I was using them yesterday while Mikey was getting body work just to keep him from being like too ticklish while she was working on him. Um, and they also make treats for your dogs too. So if you want to check it out, you can go to zeroproofhorsetreats.com. All right, so I'm very excited to introduce our first guest on the show tonight. We have Anna Merrick, who is a decorated dressage rider who is coming off a um, a wonderful bronze individual finish at the Pan American Games, and we're really excited to have her here and learn more about her career in dressage and her, her home farm in Ocala here in Florida. Hi, Anna. How are you? I'm great. How is everybody doing today? Great. Well, um, I hope you're still beaming from the Pan Ams because holy moly, what a <laughs> tremendous performance. I watched you and had goosebumps. It was beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. It it really was. And and it's true. I am still beaming about it. Oh, good. So I, I hope we could just start there because it's very exciting. Was this your okay. first time at the Pan Ams? Can you tell us more about, you know, what the international experience was like for you and your horse? Yeah, it so it was my first time at Pan Ams. It was um, the first time that I was on uh, a team for the U.S. that was like a, a traveling team for a championship like this, you know. And I have been on two Nations Cup teams in the past, um, both down in Wellington. So mm-hmm. this was the first time that I ever had any sort of international travel um, including like, you know, I, I haven't done the European tours or anything like that. So this was, it was really a big deal for me, a big step, um, in terms of, you know, flying with my horse and, and being on a team where we're, you know, we're together for so long and, and all of that. Very cool. Was it, um, you have any good stories? (laughs) How was it flying with your horse or preparing (laughs) your horse to fly? You know, it was, well, what, what I came away from the whole thing, especially looking back now that it's been a few weeks since the whole experience, it was just like, what I can say is that the, um, everybody on the U S dressage team, you know, like Laura and George and everybody like behind the scenes that set everything up, do such an, an amazing job with the organization and just not only making it so that we don't have to worry about anything for like us or the horse or the travel or any of the arrangements, but also that it's like, it's a really nice environment to it. Like it feels quite relaxed for such a big championship, if that makes sense. Like they do a great job of making it so that, you know, it's, it's not only just fun, but it's relaxing. So you can really concentrate and focus on your horse. It's, it's really cool. That's amazing. And so speaking of which, tell our listeners about the horse you took to San Diego. So Firefly is, uh, he's a 13-year-old Dutch warm blood gelding. Um, his owner imported him when he was about seven years old. His owner's named Janet Simile. And he, he'd shown like a green pre-St. George in Europe when she imported him. And, um, so then she brought him over here and had, she had him with a couple of different trainers before he came to me. And I've had, I've ridden him a little bit over two years now. She called me and she said, you know, she asked if I would take him into training. And I said to her, I said, you know, that I'm pregnant, right? And oh, no. I think it was like, <laughs> yeah, I think it was in, um, in about July, maybe it was a little bit before July. And she was like, she was like, yeah, I know, you know, big deal. You'll be a couple of months out of the saddle, but you know, will you take him? And so I said, sure. I was like, oh, that's really great that, you know, an owner doesn't care that I'm not going to be able to ride for a few months. And so I took him and he, he's a, he's like, he's a really sensitive horse. Like when I first started riding him, he's, he was quite spooky. He had, like, he actually had shown Grand Prix before, but he was, 
he couldn't really do all the ones very well. And he was a little bit kind of scared, claustrophobic of the Piaf. And I said to his owner, I said, you know, only Firefly is going to tell us when he and I can do Grand Prix. And um, she's like, she was so cool about it. She was like, oh, you know, okay, I, I trust you. And so then I had May in, Oct- in November. And then I started riding him, I think like probably around, you know, early December. And, um, he like, what, what is so amazing to me about Firefly is that what I thought about him and the things that I felt and how nervous he was on certain things, he, he's a really eager horse and never is he trying to like, look for a way out. And to me with how scared he was in certain things, you know, I, I said to Janet, I go, yeah, I said, this is going to take a long time just until he gets comfortable. And, um, but to my surprise, I think that February, January or February, I showed him in a national I2 at WEC just so that I could keep the PF like forward and easy and the ones, you know, less ones. And then by the end of the season, I did a CDI in Wellington because he was just kind of coming oh, along wow. so fast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. So it, yeah. So it's like along the time and, and I can still say he's, he's such a cool partner because every single show, I feel like I can even ask for more and trust that I, you know, I just always had to be careful to not overface him and to mm-hmm. know where, you know, where the limit was, but it's kind of like, he's let that go further and further as he, you know, started to trust me. Well, say, I think that's a testament to you and your training yeah. that you took the time to build that in him. That's very cool. Yeah. And your partnership. You. Absolutely. So what made you want to pursue dressage? What about the sport and that discipline sucked you in? Well, that's a funny story too. Cause my, so when I was young, my mom, I was like animal crazy and my mom and I would bring home all sorts of animals. And my dad was like, not an animal person. And we'd sneak all sorts of animals in. And I think for one of my birthdays, my mom gave me riding lessons. So like my mom and I took riding lessons together at the barn that she grew up riding at. And it was a hunter jumper barn. And so I thought like, you know, all my friends and all the kids jumped. And so that's originally what I wanted to do. And then I got scared on a couple of horses and I actually stopped riding. This was when I was very young. I think I was like seven or eight and I got scared I fell off and my dad said to my mom, he was like, she's not going back to the barn until she asks to go back to the barn. And, um, so I didn't for a little while until I met a girl in grade school that had a horse and she had a quarter horse, like a cutting horse. And so then we just went out and we started riding together and I leased a quarter horse mare and we played and like, we just, you know, did all the stuff you do as like little stupid girls with horses having fun. And my first horse, came into the barn and my parents bought him for me. He was like from an, like an auction, but like a, you know, from a, that go to like the kill pens and stuff. Like he was like just a mixed horse and had some issues and stuff. Well, he was my horse and I loved him and he hated to jump and I'd fall off all the time. And then (laughs) I went to a schooling dressage show and I got a blue ribbon and then And then one of my mom's friends was like, she was like, you could be so good at dressage. Like, why don't you just stop jumping? And I thought to myself, I like winning blue ribbons a lot better than I like falling off. Falling off. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? That sounds like a great idea. I didn't, I know. And I, I didn't want to get rid of my first horse. So I, that's what I ended up doing with him. And I, I got him to third level and I got my bronze medal on him. And that was like, That was like literally the absolute top that he could do. And, and that's what I ended up doing with him. That's that's like a dream story. I know. (laughs) Well, I want to go back because I don't want to, I mean, the Pan Ams, it's so amazing and stuff. And so looking forward with Firefly and everything, what, what are your goals now? Do you have some young ones? Like what's going on? Like, what are you looking forward as like your next kind of big thing, like goal wise for 2024? Well, Firefly, like what's so cool and exciting about Firefly is I, I said to my coach, Ann, I was like, you know, even with his rides at the Pan Ams, I was like, I go, you know, there's still so much more in there. And she was like, That's she was cool. like, oh, I know, I know. And <laughs> um, in the one ride at the Pan Ams, 
when I made a mistake early on, that was kind of an expensive mistake. And like, as that was happening, I was like, Oh no. And so then, so then I like snapped myself out of it and I was like, well, you better ride your butt off now. And Anne was like, Anne was like, you rode so well after you thought you messed up. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, if you could just ride like that all the time. Oh my gosh. You messed up before uh, you go in the ring is what she's telling. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, so yeah. So, but to answer your question, like, in 2024 we're like we're really looking forward to you know trying to like kind of push firefly to doing even more and and you know like some of the stuff that i can get at home and all that and taking him through you know the qualifiers for next year and i have um another horse that i ride that's actually my own horse that's just started at grand prix holiday and then i actually have so two of my own horses that i own by myself. Both of them have just started at Grand Prix. One's 10 and one's 11. And, um, and then I have a, a really nice seven-year-old. So like I have a couple coming up, you know, yeah. behind Firefly, but Firefly is definitely the one that's most confirmed and strong and confident at, at the Grand Prix level for sure. Nice. Well, so speaking of Grand Prix, you've, you've trained multiple horses through the levels to Grand Prix, and that is quite a feat in itself. What's one piece of advice or a tidbit of knowledge that you've learned from those experiences that you can share with our listeners, or maybe it's something you've shared with your own clients before? I think from, from the group of horses that I brought along to Grand Prix, like it, it's funny when I think back, sometimes I would show a horse to Anne and Anne would kind of like look at it and initially not really get why I loved this horse. And what, like, what I tell people is like some, a couple of the horses that I've brought up to Grand Prix haven't been the, like the most unbelievable movers as young horses, but they've had three very good gates. And I could tell early on that they had the temperament that they could learn anything. And so it like, it's one of, one of my horses that's just come to Grand Prix level and he's only 10. And it's so funny because like, I thought early on, I was like, he doesn't have the most impressive gates, but he has three really good gates. And when I started to kind of test a little bit of the Grand Prix stuff, I was like, he doesn't really, he's not really bad at anything. And Anne will watch him warm up and she'll be like, oh, you know, his gates and his, his neck and his short front legs. And, uh, and then I start putting him together and I start doing movements and she's like, Oh, wow. That's, that's a really good pirouette. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's he can funny. pee off so well. Oh, that's a really good extended trot. And I, and I said to her, I go that like, it's, it's not always necessarily about the biggest flashiest mover as a four-year-old, you know, it's, it's a lot of times about, um, you know, how the horse is built, that it, that it has three good pure gates and that it, but mainly that it has a really good temperament. And that it can take that it you know fair pressure, but that it can take pressure, and you know it doesn't you know get mad or get scared, and that's that is a lot of the training. But also, like the horse has to have a temperament that really wants to work for you from the beginning, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, that's great. That's really great to hear. So this really feels like such an exciting time in the sport of dressage, especially for the USA. Where do you think the sport is headed? Well, you know, the I think that in the U.S., they're really trying to promote the sport so that, you know, people are more involved. We're trying to, you know, make it so that there are more opportunities for young riders and for younger professionals to, come, like, get training and come up the ranks and make it a more popular sport. And it's it's really cool because, like, what I've noticed as my horses have started to kind of get noticed is that they offer us a lot of help. Like, and, you know, with that starting from the developing program with Charlotte and then, you know, on through the the pre-elite and the elite programs, like they really want to see you do well. And it's, it's an amazing amount of support that they were, you know, see how you're coming, try to ask, you know, what your goals are, and try to just basically like give you help 
And back when I was like really first starting out and I didn't have, you know, like a big, a sponsor or, you know, I just had my own horse. I was a little bit lost on where to even begin in, in starting in this sport and trying to, you know, make it, I guess, quote unquote. And I was lucky enough to meet somebody that was exactly what I said. That was that wanted to help a young, like young rider. She's done it multiple times, Renee Eisler. And she just, she saw something in me and she's done it for multiple other young riders. And she just tries to give them a leg up in one way or another. And people like that are what really help the sport. Oh, I yeah, love that. Absolutely. Well, Anna, it's been just a treat to have you on, but before we let you go, <laughs> this is our, our last episode before the Thanksgiving holiday. And then, you know, by then we're like, we're in the holidays. So do you yeah. have any fun holiday traditions that you do at the farm or you do with your own family? Well, you know, we always, so my husband, his favorite uh, holiday is Thanksgiving. So since we <laughs> we're coming up dating, on his. <laughs> I know. So since we started dating, we always do what he wants to do for Thanksgiving. And I absolutely love Christmas. So then we usually would go to Michigan for Christmas. But now that we have two kids and my parents have, uh, they, they still have our, like our childhood home in Michigan. And it's awesome to spend Christmas in Michigan, but it's very hard to travel with two toddlers. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I hear you. So we end up, <laughs> we end up spending Christmas in Florida. So it's like, over the last couple of years with two little ones, um, our traditions have changed a little bit where everybody kind of gathers in Florida and we now have our, uh, our warm Christmases. There you go. That's nothing wrong fun. with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Anna, thank you again. This has been great. Oh, I really, really appreciate you guys having me on. I, I loved it. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. I'm very excited to introduce our next guest. We have Ann Hawkins, who is the founder of Live Eck. Ann is a lifelong horse girl, and she's a digital strategist by trade. And prior to launching this very cool app, Ann had a long career in creating and marketing digital products for some of the world's largest corporations, which um, where she really learned to work to connect people with digital experiences that elevated their daily lives. And she's really taken that passion and, and pumped all of it into Live Eck, which we're really excited to hear more about. Hi, Anne. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, Anne, obviously you're a horse girl, but um, it sounds like you're quite busy with this <laughs> new company that launched in 2019. Can you tell us a little bit about your horsey background and, um, and how you got into app development? Big horse girl. Yeah. Um, I started riding when I was pretty young, uh, probably have a similar story to like most adult amateurs. My mom was a hunter and uh, put me and my sister on horse when we were probably four or five years old. So really kind of grew up in that whole world. I switched to jumpers uh, early. I was kind of a crazy kid. So I, <laughs> I went that route. I didn't didn't have the patience for the hunters, but um, just always loved riding so much and was a huge part of my life. Um, and then, of course, I hit, you know, my early 20s and I had to figure out how to do the whole horse thing on my own. Uh, which is, as I'm sure you guys know, pretty difficult. So <laughs> I went the corporate route. Uh, I started a career in marketing and technology and uh, just just did that and, you know, tried to figure out a way to ride while I was while I was building my career. So that's awesome. And I really the app is just very cool and such an innovative idea just an idea to connect horse people like professionally. Can you tell us about that concept and how you came up with it? Yeah, I appreciate that. I So the concept of Live Ed came out of really like my own personal need. Uh, during that time that I'm describing when I was in my early 20s, I was, this is, you know, obviously way pre-remote work and things like that, not to super age myself. But, um, you know, during that time, you kind of had to travel around to get those corporate jobs. So I would move around to a new city, I would get to a place. And the first thing I would do would be Google barns in X city or horses, you know, wherever I was. And I just found it really, really difficult to find places to ride. When I was searching on the internet or just like asking people 
code, maybe come up with like a couple of places to call. But it was just really difficult. You know, on the other end of that phone call is a really busy barn manager who doesn't really have the time to like field a ton of text messages and phone calls and things like that. So just that connection point, that like, you know, connection of people who really want in and who are, you know, trying to get into the horse industry. And then the people who are actively building and growing their barn families, there really didn't exist a way to put those two together and to seamlessly, you know, um, I guess, foster that connection. So that's what I came up with LiveAck was just to solve that personal need. Well, and now the app is, I mean, it's much more than that. So tell us about how it's grown since you launched it, because now there's a whole community and the app isn't just about just finding a barn. You have so many other, you know, qualities that kind of touches on. Oh yeah. Yeah. With growth definitely comes change. (laughs) And, uh, We've definitely grown, which is awesome. Uh, from the the little baby that I started, um, we're at about thirteen thousand new users every month right now, and we're still just in the United States. So it's been pretty rapid onboarding, and yeah, a lot of the new features and things that we've added into the app have come organically from that growth. It's been really interesting to hear what equestrians want and to really like pay attention to those pain points. A big one is hiring. A big one is is jobs, I guess, from all angles, from the barn manager sides. I hear this all the time. It's like it's so, so hard to find people to hire. Um, some people are hiring like part-time grooms or, you know, just grooms for a show season. And some people are looking for like more longer term help. And everything from grooms to like marketing and administration and finance and stuff like that, it's just really hard for them to know where to post a job where it's going to reach someone who's like even equine adjacent, you know, and knows the lingo. And on the other side, people looking for those careers, a lot of them are in, you know, again, like the more corporate business side of things. And there's no like indeed for horses. you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was a big uh, feature of the app that came organically just out of that user acquisition. And, and we're really doubling down on that a lot and, and growing that part. As someone who has literally typed horses into indeed, yes, there is. No, <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but uh, man, like I really wish this existed when I was in my early 20s, like right Right? out of school, you know, like it, it would have been really helpful. So I'm so glad that you're like filling that need now. Um, Yeah, it's an isolating time, I will say, like, you know, that just being on the outside of it, especially as someone who's grown up with it, or who has ridden in the past and like experienced that, you know, mental health boost that we all get from riding to go from that to like suddenly being without it and not knowing where to find it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Horseback riding is just a weird thing in that way. It's like, we're very unique in the way that we're so attached to these animals. And it really feels like very isolating being away from it. So just wanted to try and eliminate that as much as possible. Yeah. So for users who want to download the app, what's the first thing they should do to start exploring? I would say go to the filtering on each section. That would be my my first recommendation. There's a lot of categories. There's a lot of posts within each category. So it can be a little overwhelming to just scroll. Uh, we've built out pretty advanced filtering on each section uh, to kind of solve this need. So you can filter by discipline, obviously, um, but it goes a lot deeper than that. You can filter by price range, by breed. If you're looking at horses, stables, you can filter by amenities. You know, if you need like bathrooms, that's something that I personally like in my stable, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. So um, definitely like go through, click on the category that you're looking for, but get familiar with the filters. Those will be your best friend for sure. All right. And so I have a fun question for you with the holidays coming up. Do you have any favorite holiday cocktails? Obviously, we love cocktails here on Heelstown Happy Hour. And I know if you had any fun ones to share. I yeah, I wish I did. I like I've always wanted to go into like making beverages and somehow I just never get there. So I'm I guess I'm just like a, a holiday traditionalist and I'll go with eggnog with some whiskey in it. You know, it can't beat a classic, right? Hey, yeah. you never can. <laughs> We're big bourbon people here, so you yeah. fit right in. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> stick with what works, you know. Thank you so much for coming on, Anne. We really appreciate it, and we love your app, and it's just so awesome. 
So where can listeners find you and find the app? Yeah, thanks so much for the support. Uh, you can download the app on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Just look up LiveAc on either and you'll find us there. Do you have an innovative idea or a new product that could change the horse industry? We want to hear about it. The Anti-Girl Boss, inspired by Patricia De Silva, the founder of and owner of Heels Down and EcoGold, is seeking equestrian products and ventures to foster and help grow. Patricia has a long track record of helping build and grow businesses as an entrepreneur. And in this new program, selected partners will have an opportunity to expand their distribution and online presence and take their venture to the next level. It's free to apply, and you can find out more by going to HeelsDownMag.com and filling out a form that we will also include in our show notes. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. Who wants to go first? I can go first. All right, what's going go on? for it. Um, not much. So my rose is definitely that. So I've been trying to get Doug to do like Christmas pictures or like family pictures and all this. And that probably should be part of my thorn is because I've had to like be like, let's do this. Let's do that. But like he always like, well, there's something else. So finally today we actually set it up and it turned out to be so fun. We did our Christmas card family pictures type things, but we did it with that truck, like his old, he uh, rebuilt that, I think a 33 Chevy truck that his dad had had for forever. So we took it up to like the top of the hill and set it up and like, it's, there's some really cool pictures with like the barn in the way background with the truck and us and the kids. And then we did it like with the woods and stuff. So my rose is that I finally got like some really cool pictures and just fun stuff. And to be honest, knocked out my um, Christmas pictures because part into my thorn is that show season's over. So now I have to like do more paperwork, like family things like we're we're done with showing. And I feel like that is kind of the normal for us. So like that's like the easier part of it somehow in a weird way, because now we have like Thanksgiving and the Christmas party and traveling with the families and my friends getting married. So it's going to be a lot of fun things, but it's going to be a lot of like really, really getting organized to get everything done in a timely manner. Yeah, I hear you. So now I just have to like take a deep breath and everything will be super fun once it like happens. But, you know, my family's called 12 times like, when are we doing Thanksgiving? And I'm like, well, on Thanksgiving, they're like, when are you coming? I'm like, I don't really know yet. And they're like, <laughs> you know, that's next week. And I respond, yes, next week, then I'll figure it out. And they're like, oh, so sure. Everybody's getting annoyed with, we don't know when we're coming to things. We'll be there, but that's it. That's my thorn is. <laughs> You'll get we'll there eventually. Up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll show up eventually. We'll be there. We'll be there by Thursday. Just don't know what day before that. Uh, what about you, Ellie? Oh, well, I'll start with my thorn. Uh, I know we've shared it in the spark. Um, but you guys know, I used to work at Tioga Downs pulling blood on, um, their racehorses. I stopped when I lost my vision. So the just horrific incident, um, that was the arson that killed 30 horses. And it's just been such a, it's such a scary just horrifying event in general. I think everyone, every horse person, right? Barn fire is something we all worry about, but to have something like that set on purpose. And I mean, one of the, most of the horses were yearlings. One of them wasn't even named yet. Like it just, it breaks my heart. And I, and I know those trainers, I know those owners and they've lost everything, everything, their horses, their livelihoods, One of them even went in, tried to save uh, the horses, and he had to be rushed to the hospitals. He had burns all over his face, and it's just horrific and scary for me because it's so close to home and just totally heartbreaking. But it's also, I'm going to say, like, my rose is also the positive horse community coming together. It always kind of... I don't know. I'm not surprised, but it always just like warms my heart to see people respond to these things in such a positive way. I know the GoFundMe has already raised over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars 
the owner of Tioga Downs has agreed to match that a hundred thousand um, dollars. That's amazing. And there, everyone's just coming together and providing as much support as they can. There's so many local fundraisers at various um, therapeutic riding facilities and everything. So it's just that's so heartwarming. But my thorn is that the guy who set the fire is not being charged with animal cruelty. He's being charged charged with (laughs) arson, burglary, things like that. Um, But nothing animal cruelty related, which I've already reached out to the DA (laughs) um, and I'm doing my best. But there is a petition on change.org. If anyone else wants to contribute, I think we're up to like 7,600 signed. Um, But I guess sometimes animal cruelties are just really hard to get attorneys to agree to do without community support so that just terrifies me but if you guys are interested um in helping out or signing that petition it's on change.org and if you just search tioga downs it'll show right up what about you justine good question um i would say my Thorn is similar to yours, Jess. It's just like, oh, it's that time of the year where you got to pack everything in. Um, And you're just like, how am I going to get everything done? And so I have, um, I moved Mikey out of the dressage barn to across the street. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast yet, but um, to why it was. Yeah. Yeah. To the farm across the street, a really nice farmer guy who has cows, pigs, chickens, yada, yada. And he had an empty horse barn with empty pastures at the time. And he became kind of like an overflow barn from, for the dressage barn. And I mean, he still pretty much is that, but um, it's like a self-care situation. So it's me and one of my best eventing friends and um, another girl who rides with the dressage trainer. have kind of like taken it over and it's great. So I, you know, Mikey's super happy. I'm very happy that he's happy and Wyatt really loved living there too but it's like a self-care co-op thing. And this is the first time I've done that in my life. I've always been a full board person. So adding in the stress of the, like the holidays and leaving town, you know, like we all take certain days that we feed and kind of keep, you know, when you're out there, you're looking after all the horses, not just your own. Yeah. So it is a bit tricky now, you know what I mean? Like um, my friend Katie, who has two horses there is like headed to Australia for two weeks. And I'm like, okay, now I'm responsible for four horses (laughs) until she comes home. But, um, you know, she's like my riding BFF. So she does the same for me when I'm out of town. But it's just the stress is a little bit more knowing that you are the only person who, you know what I mean, (laughs) for the horses. So that is my I know all too well. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You, yes, something you don't think about. I've yet to find somebody to step in uh, and let Matt and I leave, but <laughs> it's a lot. And then you worry about it even when you're gone, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Because yeah. it's your home, Ellie, you know, and it's all your critters. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm getting just a taste of that in this new arrangement. But overall, I like it a lot. You both know that I am a type A crazy person. So I like being in full control over what my horse is eating and yada, yada. So, it is working out well so far. So my rose is um, that I've, I feel like I've told you guys this, that I sold Wyatt and he went to a wonderful home and he's doing super well there. And um, the woman who bought him has been kept in touch and he just looks so happy. So that is my rose right now. It's just like getting updates from him and seeing him settle into his new home and it's going super well. So I could not be more thrilled for him it's all it's all good so i feel like that's a nice like icing at the end of this year and that experience with him that like he got his forever home out of it so um and i just like that she keeps in touch and sends me photos so no that's uh, awesome yeah yeah it's great so but hey we got a mailbag that i want to ask both of y'all what you think um Ariana posted this in our Facebook group and I thought it would be an interesting one to talk about because it feels like a new fad. Like it's something that I'm hearing about more often. And she wants to know if any of us have ever used a bit fitter and if that experience was worth it. So I don't know just um, if you guys are sponsored by anybody because I feel like the the bit fitters I've seen a like like saddle fitters tend to be from they come from brands. one brand or something or like a 
kind of chain. So we have actually not used one. I think we have made, and we don't have a bit sponsor. I think that we have a collection of bits over time and Doug and I kind of have a different feel for what we want in the horse type thing. So like what I might want is going to be similar, but not exactly what Doug wants. So we kind of find, okay, does the mouthpiece bigger or smaller or whatever else or more leverage or need something? We do it more by trial and error. And we bought a old antique big uh, chest, not even a chest. It's like a, I don't even know what you would call it. It's like almost like a big chest drawer type thing. And it's got like a big bureau uh, type. Yeah, I've seen it. It's really cute how you guys did that. And so because we had so many bits and we had bit boxes, probably couldn't even find them in the bit boxes, even though I had the little like dolly things that like you pick up, but I couldn't find the right ones. So uh, my mom and her friend actually sent me this picture of like an open cabinet one. And then I found one with doors and stuff. And so I ended up just doing that. And I, I take my time and just play with it, to be honest. Like if it's not exactly what I want, you know, maybe I go for a hack that day or whatever else, or do something light. Or if I'm going to jump, maybe have like three options and I take my time and swapping the bits and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I haven't really personally used a bit fitter because I think that we just spend the time and do trial of error because it takes a lot of time. And what one bit works one day in six months, I might want to change it again to something a little more. Honestly, a lot of times I go a little less. Uh, I feel like one, you got to post a picture of your bit box furniture in the group, but yeah, I think it's interesting. So I, I, I said it's like a new fad because I think that's kind of what it is, you know? Um, and I think it's, you know, if it's gives you an opportunity to learn more, I think that's great. You know, it makes me think of, there's a vet here in Ocala who's quite well known, Dr. Bess Darrow, who is um, like a DVM vet who specializes in dentistry. And I've seen a few different like clinic talks she's given and does like a bridal fitting demonstration, but she is a vet, you know, and, and obviously does dental work in their mouths that I've learned a lot. Like, for example, I I see a lot of posts online and people will tell me, oh, well, my horse has a low palate and she will be the first person to tell you that like that doesn't exist. (laughs) That's not like a real thing when people say that. But, you know, understanding your horse's palate is, I think, important. Understanding like the right size, you know, bits come in different sizes, right? And obviously if a bit is too big in their mouth or too small in their mouth is going to have a different effect. And Horses may, might like a bean lozenge in the middle, or they might not. It, like you said, it's trial and error, but if you're not comfortable doing that on your own, um, maybe a bit fitting clinic is is worth it. Uh, there, uh, An amateur eventer in town put on one, and um, I think it was the, I always say their name wrong, the NS company, what is it, New, New Schule? You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about, but I also yes. can't pronounce it. They're like the cool it bit right now company. How do you say it? It's N, like the letters are NS. New shul. I, I'm never going to yeah. say it right. You guys can all laugh at me. But anyways, <laughs> no, I can't pronounce it either. No shame. So the <laughs> no, that's why I was like, uh, no. <laughs> the fitter represented that ba- that brand. And it's a really high-end type of bit. It's a $200 plus yeah, bit. Yeah, they're expensive. You know? they're but so they're, new, yeah. But there's a reason for that. Most horses really like them. They go well. There's like an ergonomic design. They're big on their research. Um, So I I do think there's something to learn. And I think with the different types of bridles we use now, you know, like they're all different types of fits on how I see so many people with the Mickelman bridles that like the bits are not. They don't fit properly. Yeah. And the bits are just like flopping around because the, they don't fit the horse's face correctly. And no, but yeah. that's the problem is like so many don't fit correctly and they have them on or they're too loose or too tight exactly. or not fit. And that, or, and that can go, it's not just those bridles. It could be just a Any plain cabison. It can be the figure eight. Yeah. And so for me, like we have the NS fits and everything else. Cause I'm not even going to go about pronouncing that, but <laughs> um, so we have, array of them and we have everything and I feel like it's just it's very dependent and so 
uh, yes, I right. Every horse is different. Yeah, but I think there's exactly. a need for certain things, and there's not. And I find it depends on what you're really looking for, because I think it could be if you were like, okay, look, I need to for the knowledge. I think that it would be very helpful. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, so uh, like I went and brought bits, and I felt like I was pushed to buy a new bit. You know what I mean? But I. Mm-hmm. You, so if you don't trust your own knowledge or you don't have like a trainer, like, as I really feel like experience is what is important yeah. here. Like just, yeah. it, you know, you would be the first person I would ask if I was like, Hey, I bought this yeah. bridle. Does this bit look like it fits correctly? Do I have it put on correctly? Yeah. You know, oh, and um, people send me text. I mean, a good friend of mine just sent me and she's like, is this not fitting correctly? And then I like, you know, text. She's like, I didn't have it adjusted correctly. <laughs> she, right. Like, and, me back and like, it is just try the whole thing is just trial and error. So, but I think, yeah, if it's, if, if you want to learn something, I think it's worthwhile. Like yeah. I, I think you could absolutely learn from meeting with a bit fitter and finding out one more about your horse's mouth and two more about their own sensitivities and three, making sure all, all the face tack fits. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think also another option outside of bit fitting is a lot of clinicians i've clinicked with bernie tarig and uh in the western um less vote and both of them during their clinics would have you try different bits bernie tarig is very into um, oh that's cool just the standard snaffle but he would say why are you riding this horse in this try him in this like let's you know lower it this much and like those kind of things I think are huge. Like I learned like Berkeley really doesn't like thick bits. He likes very just thin and kind of straight. He's not a big fan of breaks or anything like that. Um, he's a more mullen mouth kind of guy. Um, but I think those kind of options too. like look around. Cause a lot of good clinicians will actually have you ride in the clinic and change your bit six times. And that's like, I think a great way to be able to figure it out is like, yeah. Oh wow. I've noticed because the thing is, like you said, Jess, right. A bit can be different depending on the day. But if you ride a horse in six different bits at the same t- like same day and having someone on the ground, that's able to help you change it through. Yeah. Those are huge. So, but yeah, I think it's all about learning. Like Justine said. Yeah. So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the show, you can always send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com or you can join our Facebook group. It's the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. We want to thank our partners this week, Zero Proof Horse Treats and Livec. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.